Hey there, welcome back to Salty Saints Podcast. My name is Zach, and I'm sitting here with Randy Spadigan. What's up? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you today? I'm good, man. Um, we are talking about Jesus. We were talking about Jesus last time, and here we are again. Last time we talked about who is Jesus, but this time we're talking about the function of Jesus. What yeah, did what Jesus did he do? Yeah. So where do you want to start with that, Randy? Well, um, you know, typically, uh, last time, you know, we went all the way back to his birth. We talked about the incarnation, but a baby doesn't do much. When you think about the life of Jesus, uh, you usually start even after uh, the baptism, Jesus' baptism, and his time in the desert, and then he starts his ministry. What do you think of when you think of the ministry of Jesus, of the things that Jesus did? Um, probably different now than I used to. Um, I think, you know, as a kid growing up, or even just a few years ago, I might have talked to you more about uh, the miracles Jesus did and you know his healings and 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 preaching and i think these days i'm more prone to just go straight to he loved people and mm-hmm. he was a good man and he i mean he he wasn't always gentle i guess i'm kind of deconstructing who i thought jesus was and trying to get to the bottom of who he really was, you know? And so I think there's a lot of of kind of understanding that that, that doesn't mean he was always uh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. He wasn't yeah. always uh, perfect. Well, he was always perfect. He wasn't always um, what we would probably consider perfect in our culture, you know, like that he, 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 gave, he probably gave people a hard time for doing the wrong things and, you know, like – it, it, I guess when we think about what Jesus did, it kind of changes our view on what right and what good is because he's the standard for it. You know, I love the fact that you're talking about how your understanding of Jesus has evolved. I found that to be true. I grew up in the church. I, I listened to the Sunday school stories. And, of course, the miracles always stand out. But the more uh, I study, the more I'm... I'm swept away by the quote-unquote normal things that Jesus did that are not normal at all. Right, right. I mean, that, that's that's almost harder to do, like, the, the normal things Jesus did. That's the stuff we can't manage to get done at all. So when Jesus started his ministry, uh, this is in the book of Luke. Um <clears throat> When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read the scriptures. The roll, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and then he found the place where this was written. Now, before I read what it was written, you've got to understand what's happening there. The way a scroll is made, it's on two poles, and you just kind of roll it together. You put it away in a leather sack. When you pull it out, it is exactly where it was when you put it in the sack. You don't turn pages in a scroll. The scroll is right there. So you read what's there, and then you move it on. 
Now, what Jesus was doing, typically, in the synagogue, when somebody had traveled and Jesus had just been away to uh, the south, to Judea, where he was baptized by John, he came back, and it is tradition that when you have a traveler who's just come back from a trip, he gets to read the scroll. So you hand him the scroll, and he opens the scroll, and he reads what's there in front of him. But Jesus doesn't do that. Luke is very clear to say that he rolled, he unrolled the scroll. He looked at the passage he was supposed to read that day, and he said, no, that's not it. And it's the scroll of Isaiah, probably a Targum of Isaiah, a translation of Isaiah into Aramaic, which was the common language. He unrolled it until he found this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. That sets the stage for all of Jesus' ministry. Everything he does is there. You get the miracles the blind see. You get the preaching of the gospel. Uh, he's, I, I bring good news to the poor. The captives will be released. And understand that Israel saw itself as a captive. So this was kind of them thinking that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be freed from Rome at this point. The oppressed will be set free. But then he comes to the end. The time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the leader of the synagogue, sits down. Everybody's looking at him because he's done something that he shouldn't have done. He was supposed to read the passage that was there. He looked for a different passage. And then he just says, the scripture you've just heard is fulfilled today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that sets the stage for his entire ministry. He does things that are shocking, but the things that he does are, in one sense, normal things. He preaches the gospel to the poor. Right. He feeds the hungry. But the way he goes about doing them just absolutely amazes people. Well, there's so much authority behind it. Like, it. it it's like he's not asking for anybody's permission. He's just doing it. And the book of Matthew points that out at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught like one with authority. Now, what the Pharisees were used to doing was saying, Rabbi so-and-so says this about this verse, but Rabbi the other guy says that about the verse. And then Rabbi John Doe says this. Jesus just says, the Bible, it's it's like Billy Graham. He was like the Billy Graham of his time. The Bible says, <laughs> and he would just quote the Old Testament and say, get about doing it, guys. We're supposed to obey that. It's not rocket science, guys. Right. Just do it. And, and like, that's not miraculous. Like what he did there. It's just... Life, And it's shocking the it, way he did it. Right. Because, I mean, I look at 
a lot of pastors today, you know, if they were asked to give an address on like television at, at some nationally aired thing, they'd probably read what was put in front of them. A lot of them, you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. and I'm not trying to like knock where the church is today, but it's just like that's hard. To stand up and just say, no, I'm going to talk about what God wants me to talk about today. You know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty intense. When you look at what Jesus did, so much of what he did was actually uh, coming directly in conflict with existing authorities. He came in conflict with Jewish authorities, first of all. Everybody saw that. Um, in the book of Mark... You get one chapter of Jesus uh, becoming wildly famous. And then in chapter two, he starts fights with all of the Jewish authorities of the day, with the scribes, with the teachers of the law, with the Pharisees, with the chief priests. And what he's doing, he challenges their authority. He says, you have based what you do on your own opinions, not on God's word. Look at what God's word says. He comes in direct conflict with evil spirits. So much of Jesus' ministry is casting out demons. I always used to think, okay, so is this guy epileptic or is he having a seizure or is he, the Bible says he's demon-possessed. Can that be? I don't see that many demon-possessed people. But coming to think about it, if Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God, and he did, he's going to throw everything he has at him. Right. So it's like there is a uh, a demon convention in Israel for the three and a half years that Jesus is there, and Jesus is casting out demons left and right because Satan is throwing everything that he has at him. Yeah. And Jesus always has authority. Right. I think there's other approaches to that too, but okay. I like that one. Okay. That's I, I never know where I land on stuff like that. That is one of the ones that I would probably say, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know though, you know, um, but I don't want to get into that too much. He comes up against Roman authorities and uh, he questions their authority. In fact, he stands before the supreme authority in Israel, Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And Pilate says, don't you understand I have the authority to kill you? And Jesus says, you don't have any authority. The only authority you have is the authority that my father gives you. Wow. It doesn't get any plainer or bolder than that you're you're literally on trial for your death that's right and you look at the judge and say y- y- what authority you have you know it's, <laughs> it's not really yours that's right that's right <laughs> yeah if i want to die i'll die <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's really my choice so so much of what jesus did was coming into direct conflict with existing authorities and setting up himself as the authority. But he didn't act like an authority. He didn't live in the palaces that Herod lived in or wear the clothes that the Romans wore. Uh, 
what he did is he served. And that was the mark. In fact, Jesus says, that's the mark of my ministry. I've come, not for my own good, but for your good. I've come to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Man, that's that's just so wild. Um, I just had this thought of like, God, you know, the the Father, um, seated in heaven, in his, you know, in his heavenly throne, worshipped day and night, you know? That's that's what he's done for eternity. And for 33 years, just says, not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go rough it for those guys that hate me. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy. And awesome. And it's going to lead to a very painful death. Yeah. So that kind of gets us to the second thing that we wanted to talk about here. Jesus' life and ministry, it's awesome, and and we can learn a lot from it. What we learn from Jesus' ministry kind of sets the pattern for what the church needs to be doing today. If the church is Christ's body today, then we need to be about doing what his body did when he was walking on the earth, which is not just preaching for an hour on Sunday morning, but doing life. Right. Uh, Helping people. Or trying to make it all about miracles or all about supernatural events. Because that was so very little of what Jesus actually did. I mean, the majority of the time Jesus spent on earth was doing things that every other human does, but doing them the right way. That's right. Yeah. And then he died. Then he died. (laughs) Um, His death is irretrievably connected to the rest of his life. He served and he ended up being killed because he didn't fit the mold. Because he served, because he ate with sinners instead of standing outside and laughing at them and condemning them where they were. So the things that Jesus did inevitably led to his death. He was uh, rejected. He was rejected by the very people that he was sent to save, uh, the Jewish nation. Um, the uh, writers of the epistles make a big point of that, that that he was rejected, he was reviled, he was, he was uh, handed over to the Romans to be to be killed, and in his death, we find life. Which, again, it's it's just so backwards. It's so surprising. Everything about his kingdom is, though, right? I mean, it's... Sort it's of, a shocker. They call yeah. it, I've heard a lot of people refer to it as the upside-down kingdom. You know, yeah. It's all backwards. Yeah. It is. It is. We even had a sermon series on that, the Upside Down yep. Kingdom. <laughs> yep. um, so in his death, um, what are the, some of the things that you've heard? Uh, why did Jesus come to die? 
This is tough. Um, so a lot of I, I have a lot more Catholic friends these days than I used to because my girlfriend's Catholic. Um, <laughs> but I've heard a lot of her friends or family say, you know, Jesus came to um, open the gates of heaven to us, and I think that's partially right. I think it is true. Uh, uh, it's not the whole picture, though, in my opinion. But it's it's definitely it's got truth. It's it's definitely got truth. I mean, one of the things that happens when Jesus dies is this huge veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn. And I forget which gospel. Is it John that says that? Uh, it was torn from top to bottom. And that may be an indication that this is God tearing it, God rending his clothes at the death of his son, but also God saying there is now no separation between us. Yeah. Um, come on into the Holy of Holies. Come on into my presence. Uh, that's part of what Jesus' death does for us. Jesus' death, you, you hinted at this, um, it opens the door to heaven, but it's so much more. Right. Uh, Jesus' death is kind of like the Trinity. It's incomprehensible to a finite mind. Yeah. I, I think part of it is how you view heaven. It, uh, so I guess that I don't see anything wrong with that statement of opening the gates of heaven. It's what do you view heaven as? Hmm. Is heaven a place? Like God, that Jesus is now inviting us into this place? Um, or is it a state of being? Is it a, um, it's a kingdom. It's a reign. It's what, come on into the presence of God. Um, that's what I think heaven is. I think heaven is the presence of God. I mean, there's a time when, he, well, we can get into this later, I guess, but when heaven and earth converge, or heaven and, oh my gosh, heaven and earth converge. Um, it, like in Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's kind of what it seems like is now open again, is that God walks yeah. with man again. Come on into my present. Let's, let's walk around. Right. Like it's a, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's not a far off thing that we have to look forward to. It is also a, well, it is that, but it is also a right now. It's yeah. It's a, a, a lot of scripture is uh, uh right how how is it how is it that that said uh it's right now but not yet i think yeah, is yeah, the way yeah. it's it's put sometimes yeah. and uh that's kind of what this is there is a future aspect to this but there is also a present aspect his death is not just for our future it's also for our present uh paul talks about this in the book of romans um we mentioned earlier that Romans is uh, the most theological of Paul's letters. He kind of lays out his theology. The The first three chapters, uh, Paul is very clear to say man lives in sin. Man is, he's really messed things up. He's He's done a royal job of learning how to sin, and nobody is righteous. Everybody has sinned. And then he comes to talk about Jesus' death. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, but God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we're righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us 
from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past. So Paul, when he talks about Jesus' death, talks about three things. He says, first of all, Jesus' death frees us from the penalty for sin. And that's reality. Because we sinned, we have a sentence over us. We, we have been condemned. Jesus' death eliminates that condemnation. Sort of the judicial side of it. There's a judicial side of it. Jesus' death satisfies a cultic side of it. Now, the author of Hebrew go, Hebrews goes way deeper on this when it, it talks about the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. Uh, animal sacrifices given for sin once upon a time, there's no need to do that anymore because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. One sacrifice for all sin of all men of all time once and for all. And then finally, there is a salvation moment in this. Jesus uh, shed his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past. He did that in in anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. So the cross has a huge impact on us. Um, one of the things that I've been looking at and trying to understand recently is that, that we have three different value systems and the cross impacts all of the value systems. We live typically in the value system of, of good and evil, uh, good and bad. Right and wrong. Right and wrong. I did the wrong thing. I'm guilty. I deserve a punishment. Jesus takes care of that punishment. But that's not the only value system that's out there. There is the honor-shame value system. Orientals uh, have a very keen understanding of shame. We see that as well among us. Uh, Gangs will operate under uh, the power weakness, which is the third um, uh, value system, but also the honor-shame. It's about Uh, being honored about not treating one another with shame. Uh, We see that in the military. Uh, You actually know where you stand in the pecking order by the insignia that's on your sleeve. Uh, If if you're a private, you initiate the salute to a sergeant. If you're a sergeant, you initiate the salute to to the lieutenant and so on right up the ladder. Everybody knows where they stand. And that's the power weakness? No, that's the honor shame. That's the honor shame. That's the honor shame. When we stand before the cross, we come to the cross and say, I am ashamed. I'm ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I live in shame. And Jesus says, I take that shame on myself. 
and I give you the honor of being a member of the family of God. Uh, whatever shame you had is lost when we're adopted into God's family. <coughs> and then we have power and weakness. Um, we stand before the cross in total weakness. Uh, we see this in gangs. And some gangs, the initiation is just going out and exerting your power. Sometimes it's go out and kill somebody indiscriminately. Sometimes it's go out and rob that liquor store, uh, come back with money. And it's not so much that we want the money because you wouldn't get in if you just emptied out your bank account and gave us the money. It's the fact that you exerted power over somebody else. We stand before the cross and we say we are powerless. We have no power ultimately over our own life. Jesus looks at us and says, that's right, you don't. And I take that weakness and give you my power. Here's the Holy Spirit. Walk in his power. And and we get to. All because of the death of Jesus. All those things seem to have one thing in common that we see where we fall short in that equation and then we realize that Jesus is perfect in those things and that he gives us his perfection for our shortcomings. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He provides just what we need, just when we need it. If we need honor, you can give us honor. If we need power, he can give us power. If we like need that. forgiveness. He can give us that too. That's awesome. And that all happens in the death of Christ. That all happens in the death of Christ, which then it's it's the death combined with his resurrection that shows that he is indeed God. Um, death can't hold him down. Uh, I, I love some of the songs that Johnny we sing. Cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny Cash even sang about that, didn't he? Um, but it's it's the resurrection that sets apart the death of Jesus. I mean, the death of a good man, you see good men die all the time. But Jesus came back to life. And the amazing thing was that in the second half of his ministry, Jesus started telling the disciples, now we're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to mistreat me and they're going to abuse me and they're going to kill me and then I'm going to come back to life. And in fact, he says, in three days. And then he does it. (laughs) Right. That's the thing that sets it apart. He says this and then he does it. Now, recently, Andy Stanley has uh, he's he's been traveling around the country, and I assume in his preaching, he's been talking about this. But he makes a big deal of the resurrection, which, uh, rightfully so, it is a big deal. And what he says is literally, so Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life, and then he went and did it. Well, gee whiz, if he went and did it, maybe I ought to listen to the other things that he said, too, and start doing them. And it all comes back to the resurrection, the fact that death could not hold him. In fact, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, Chris here at church, um, 
one of the guys in our band, and uh, he was just saying how he thought it was so cool that throughout Scripture, Jesus says, you know, I do this because it's the will of my Father. I do this because it's the will of my Father. I do this because it's the will of my Father. You know, you keep seeing that. But then the one thing that Jesus does himself is he lays down his life, and he says, and I'll pick it back up again. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) That's so cool. It is. It's so selfless, and then and then the one thing he chooses to do of his own free will is to give up his life, which is ultimately just as selfless. Like, so cool. So we've been uh, talking about the book of Romans quite a bit. So in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's part of what we talked about last week, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So, you know, there's where that resurrection from the dead. This was big news. This was, um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul stands, spends an entire chapter talking about this. And in fact, at the very early part of the chapter, he quotes what is probably part of an early creed. And it's interesting just the way that it's that it's organized. First uh, Corinthians fifteen three. I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Now that is Paul talk for saying this is a a, a primal creed. This is something the early church taught and people memorized. But it's what follows that's so interesting. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, by more than 500 of his followers. And then Paul ends at the very end. And at one time, uh, and, and excuse me, uh, he goes on, he says, then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. And then Paul adds, um, and then, although I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, that wasn't part of the creed. The creed probably goes up through James and the apostles. But it's interesting to me that part of the creed is to name eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And Paul, in the middle of that, kind of interrupts it. And he says, most of them are still alive. It's like Paul's saying, you have a question, go find somebody. Talk to them. Let them tell you. Look in their eyes. See the excitement Watch them jump up and down when they start saying Jesus was alive. That will lead you to belief. <laughs> That's awesome. He came back from the dead. Uh, he, he, the angels came down and rolled the stone away. And they rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out. They rolled the stone away so the disciples could get into the tomb and see that he wasn't there. 
walls had no meaning for Jesus anymore because he passes through them later. Right, yeah. that, that very same day, he passes through the walls and appears in the middle of all of the disciples. So he passed through the walls of the tomb. But how are they going to know? Well, the angels rolled the stone away and said, go on in and look. And they couldn't find anything. He was gone. He was resurrected. Talking about the eyewitnesses, that's really like the beginning of apologetics. I mean, <laughs> let's, he, he's raised from the dead. Here's all the people that saw it happen. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Zach, we're going to have to come back and talk about this because there are people who today would say that Jesus was not really raised from the dead. And that there's that no this proof. was all a hoax and that there is no scientific proof. Right. We got to come back and talk about that because they are right. There is no scientific proof. We've talked about where you're going with this a little bit, too. That's right. That there is historical proof. There though. is historical proof. Right. And that's what you use in a court of law. Right. You can't scientifically prove that John Doe shot Jane Doe. Right. But if you've got eyewitnesses, you have historical proof. Right. Very cool. Yeah. So anyway, we'll need to come back and do that later and go into some of the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus and and what that looks like so that we're prepared to be able to talk to somebody that might say, uh, that's all a hoax. It didn't really happen. Right. Um, the I think the the last part, though, about Jesus that we need to get to is what he's coming back to do, right? That's right. That's right. So he lived his life. He died. He was raised from the dead. And he's coming back. At some point. Some people think like tomorrow, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. It seems like every time somebody makes a prediction, then they have to explain away why it didn't actually happen. And right. That happened in some of the cults that yeah. we had uh, and and still have today. That Jehovah's even happened. Witnesses. Oh, yeah. The Watchtower movement. That's what is right. it? Twice they predicted it now that it didn't happen? Right. The first time it didn't happen, they said, well, he came into heaven. But he's actually going to come on this time, and when that didn't happen, they said, well, it's all a, 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 an analogy anyway. <laughs> Without digging too deep on that, that that's also means for why you shouldn't believe anything that that person then says again, because they have not met the sign of a prophet. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Even inside the church, there have been people. I remember when I was I was a teenager— uh, a man by the name of Hal Lindsey wrote a book, and uh, it was called The Late Great Planet Earth, and he said the Lord is going to come back in 1984, and he named a year. Well, here we are 35 years after 84, and <clears throat> if this is the millennial kingdom, man, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, things are not going, you know, the way that I, I would think they would go. Um, people, may, the disciples went to Jesus. Here's the point. The disciples went to Jesus and said to Jesus, so when are you coming back? Jesus's answer was, I don't even know. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you because I don't even know. Only the father knows. And when he snaps his finger and says, okay, son, it's time. I'll come back, but it's not yet. Here's the other thing 
from the time of the Apostle Paul, he could have come back. There are no prophecies waiting to be fulfilled right. that determine that he can't come back yet. He right. could have come back. Well, so the, the, the gospel needs to be proclaimed to all the ends of the earth, basically. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, there are some people who say that, and that's that's why you have the the missiological movement of let's get a, a church in every people group in the world. I wish it were that clear in Scripture, but it's not. It's not that he says, hey, you know, you get a church in every people group and I'll come back. Right. That's an interpretation. Right. Uh, there is a sense in which uh, he has been proclaimed from Paul's day to the ends of the earth. And, <clears throat> yeah, there are others. Uh, the temple has to be built. And uh, I've heard one of a red heifer has to be sacrificed. and That's uh, a strange one. I haven't uh, heard that. That's... Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but so there's all kinds of these things out there. The reality is there is no prophecy that cannot prohibit Jesus coming today. In fact, if you look at what Paul says about Jesus' coming in his epistles, about what John says about Jesus coming in the book of Revelation, and compare it to what Jesus himself says about his own return, the one thing that they all say, and it appears to be the point that they're trying to make, is just be ready. Right. Right. Yeah. You're not going to know when. You're not going to know where. You're not going to know how. Just get ready. <laughs> right. Because it's coming at some point. Yeah, it's it's going to come. What and it? if you're not ready, you're going to be sorry. So just get ready. What's Jesus' uh, parable of the waiting for the bridegroom with the oil? Yeah, the, 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 the ten virgins. The yeah. Five wise and the five silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> five were prepared. And that's all about preparation, and that's the only point of the whole parable be prepared so how do we be prepared the life the death the resurrection presents us a clear path to salvation we do that and we are prepared so model christ essentially Um, look at him not only as our lord and our savior um, but to look at him as the pattern an example, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is the prime example of what humanity should look like. And if we all did that, man, there'd be no problems. <laughs> I mean, now can we perfectly do it? No, I, I don't. I don't believe we can. Not yet. I'd be satisfied if we were trying. Yeah, <laughs> right. If everybody was just giving it a good old fashioned try, that'd be yeah. all right. We'd be so much better. Randy, you got anything else for me? No, you know, I think uh, what we're trying to do here is a basic introduction. I think we've done a basic introduction. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's man. He's Lord. He's the Messiah. What did he do? We see his ministry. He served others. He died. 
he rose again, and he's coming back. If we understand that, we understand the basics. Right. And we're going to dig deeper on a lot of this stuff, like Randy said. It, this is an introduction. This Our thinking was, you know, if we're moving forward with more of a uh, focus on apologetics, on faith stories, that maybe it makes sense for us to lay down a foundational few episodes of just what do we believe? And that's why we picked the Apostles' Creed, and that's why we're just breaking it down into Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, uh, yeah, so next week, uh, tune in. We're going to be getting into the Holy Spirit. Um, who it's is more he? than just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit and what he does, which inevitably includes the church. Exactly, exactly. Because he, it, that's God at work in us, right? Right. Right. Um, so... Make sure if you've got any questions for us, uh, drop us a question through an email at questions at becomehope.com or at saltysaints at becomehope.com. Um, make sure to give us a like, a comment, a follow, whatever you're listening on right now. Um, I know they're all a little bit different, but if, if there's a way of supporting us on that platform, we would love for you to do that. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Stay salty. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.